I'll be reading from 1 Kings 21, verses 17 through 29. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed, and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, and saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, and will take away thy posterity, and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Bashiach, the son of Ahijah, for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger, and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did it very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, thus he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seeth thou has Ahab humbled himself before me, because he humbleth himself before me? I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. We can go all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 18 and we recall what happened on Mount Carmel. Elijah set forth a challenge and there were two altars built and the pagan priests came forward, the priests of Baal, and they tried to get their gods to uh, consume the sacrifice that they placed and of course nothing happened. And they spent half a day or all day uh, screaming and crying and cutting themselves. And of course, we recall what happened. And Elijah had talked to them and said, Well, maybe your gods have gone on a walk or your God is taking a nap or maybe He can't hear you or He's gone honey. Maybe you need to scream a little louder. And nothing happened. And of course, Elijah had taken 12 stones and rebuilt his altar and 
he had placed his bullock upon that altar and he had poured water upon that altar to where even after he had built uh, or had uh, dug a trench around it and uh, poured so much water upon it that uh, the, the water had even filled up that trench and he prayed to God and, and water had come down and not only consumed his bullock, but it had licked up the water and the dust and everything. And then he told the people to capture those uh, idolatrous priests and not allow any of them to escape, and they fell upon them and killed them all. And then we get over to chapter 19, and Ahab goes and tells Jezebel, his wicked wife, what had happened, and she says, May the gods do to me and more if I don't kill you for what you've done. And that's when this great courageous Elijah becomes scared of what had happened and he flees from her. And we recall what he did. He runs and he flees into the the wilderness and he sits down under this juniper tree and he says, God, take my life because I'm the only one left. And then God begins to talk to him and he feeds him, allows him to rest and then... He sends him out to to Mount Horeb. Forty days and forty nights that he allows him to uh, exist upon this meat that he had given him. And then he appears to him in the form of a tornado and an earthquake and then this great fire. And then it's four to six years, no Elijah. Oh, Elijah, from chapters 19 to 21, where we're at now in 1 Kings. doesn't seem that long when you just thumb your page over. and But there's no Elijah for four to six years. And all this time, Ahab and Jezebel are going about doing their wickedness. And you know Ahab thinks that God has forgotten all about him. And he's walking around up on the, the top of the palace and he looks over and he sees this vineyard and he says, Boy, that's a nice looking vineyard. I think if I were able to get my hands on that vineyard, I could plant a garden and have this herb garden because it is hard fast up next to the palace. I think I'm going to try to get that garden, that, that vineyard. And so he calls over to Naboth. He says, Naboth, let me have this vineyard and I'll give you a vineyard that's even better. Or if you prefer, I'll give you the money of what it's worth. Now, you might understand if Ahab becoming a little upset with Naboth, if Naboth was a little bit arrogant or he was angry toward Ahab the king and he just wanted to to have that vineyard so everyone could look at it and say, boy, that's a nice vineyard and I'm not going to let anyone have it, have it. But Naboth said, God forbid, I can't let you have that vineyard. In essence, what Naboth was saying was, even if I wanted to give you the vineyard or even sell you the vineyard, God doesn't allow me to do that because that's my inheritance. God gave us the inheritance, and and you know this, King Ahab, because you're a Jew as well, and you know the law. And when we came into this land of promise way back there, And God divided up this land. He gave our fathers this property. And this piece of property fell to my fathers. And then it fell to their sons and to their sons. And finally, King, it came into my possession. And now, I can't sell it. 
It's against the law of God if I were to sell it. I can't give it to anyone. It's supposed to go to my children. Now if we look back over the the history of humanity, there have been a whole lot of devious and immoral couples that we read about. We read about Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, Bonnie and Clyde, but in the Bible, Ahab and Jezebel are about as sorry and rotten as they come. They're about as bad as they get. Either one would have been considered intrinsically evil, but together they just compounded the evil that each one had and they made the other one's sense of wickedness infinitely worse. He enabled her idolatry and she was more than willing to kill to meet his wants and needs. She just didn't care and he didn't either. To understand kind of where Ahab fit into the history of Israel, Israel became, we know, divided into two nations. You had the northern kingdom that became Israel. You had the southern kingdom that we know as Judah that was ruled and uh, the kings were uh, from the lineage of David. And the first king of the divided kingdom of Judah was Rehoboam, the son of Joshua. But the, the, the northern kings, they became ruled and they suffered under a succession of nothing but extremely wicked men who were all described as those who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And their history can be found in 1 Kings chapter 16 where Elah began to reign, but his reign lasted only two years when he was murdered by Zimri. Zimri, then Israel made Omri king. Omri led a revolt against Zimri, who was king really only for seven days. And he was only king for seven days because when he saw this revolt coming against him, he decided to barricade himself into the palace and burn it down around him. It was almost as if he was saying, well, if I can't be king around here, no one's going to be king around here. Well, then Omri defeated Timnah and he became king. But Omri did worse than all those before him, it said. And guess who Omri was the father of? Ahab. Well, when Omri finally died, and just as the people were saying good riddance to him, along came Ahab, who was more wicked than any who came before him. He was just the worst of the worst. And if that wasn't bad enough, then he goes out and he finds Jezebel. He brings her into the clan. He wants to marry her. Now, he married her simply because it was politically expedient to marry her. She was the daughter of the king of Phoenicia. Phoenicia operated and was in charge of all the shipping routes of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Ahab says, well, if I can marry her, I can have international trading rights. And so I'm going to bring her on in. Well, her father was, was uh, uh, in charge of Sidonia. Sidonia was the, the main shipping area in Phoenicia. So, well, that's a win-win, he says. Well, not only was he head over there, he was also the high priest of Baal worship. 
It's almost like he was the Pope and the King all rolled into one. Now the term Baal seems to have been applied to a number of pagan gods that were known as the Baalim. But eventually they became associated with the chief Canaanite fertility god and the god of Tyre. Also, Baal was often worshipped with child sacrifice. And that came to be associated with the children of Israel as well. Of course, it had attached to it all sorts of immorality in their worship, and both of which would have been repulsive to any faithful Jew. Jew. And of course, then we see Jezebel. She was fanatical when it came to her religion. And she didn't have any problem with Ahab's plan to marry her because she wanted to be able to convert every single Jew over to her religion. She wanted to seduce the Israelites away from Jehovah God to be able to get rid of the true religion of heaven and to be able to implement her idolatrous religion. And when she married Ahab, that's exactly what she started doing. Now we're told... And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him, 1 Kings 16.30. Knowing all of that, it isn't surprising to learn what had happened to the man Naboth when he refused to sell his vineyard to that wicked king Ahab. Now the title of the sermon this morning is When God Has Had Enough. And we're going to begin with the cause. We're going to begin with the cause. Now let's notice the sin. If Naboth had sold his vineyard to Ahab, it would certainly have been a sin. And we've noticed that. That was his inheritance. It was part of the land God had given the Jews. It was illegal for him to sell that property to Naboth, or to Ahab rather. It In succeeding generations, the family could show their children how God had provided and taken care of the children of God. They could go back in when the children came and when they asked, how did we come by this property? They could show in the law how God had taken care of them. It's just like uh, all of the monuments they had set up when they came through and took the land of promise. They set up 12 stones in the very river bottom of the Jordan River. They did that so they could show their children. Well, they'd ask their parents, what about these 12 stones? Well, that's when we crossed over on dry land. God allowed us to do that. What about this monument on on the west side of the Jordan River? That's when God allowed us to come over here on this other side. God protected us. Now, Keep in mind, Ahab was a Jew. None of that was new to Ahab. He understood exactly what Naboth was telling him. He understood exactly Naboth couldn't sell that property. He understood full well what God expected out of him. But the problem was he thought Naboth had the exact same attitude toward God that Ahab had. That was the problem. The problem was Naboth refusal was based on the fact that he was obedient to every law that Ahab had disregarded his whole life. 
And that irritated him. And that caused him the real problem, right? Instead of being faithful, Ahab was disobedient. After all, was Ahab going to go home back to the, to the palace and, and look at Jezebel and say, well, Naboth wouldn't sell me his vineyard because, well, he's a better man than I am. That wasn't going to happen, was it? Was he going to tell her that? No, instead, here's what he does. He was angry, but he doesn't show his anger in violence. He goes home and he lays on his bed, turns his face toward the wall, and he sulks like a child would. Refuses to eat. I'm not going to eat. So Jezebel comes in and says, Why aren't you eating? What's the problem here? I can just see him now. He pulls his thumb out of his mouth and he says, Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. She says, aren't you the king? Are you ruling this country? Now here's the thing. Ahab is the, is the most powerful king in the nation. Now notice, we didn't call him the most powerful person in the nation. Because he's not that. He is actually talking to the most powerful person in the nation. Jezebel. Now that sin led to his sentence because what happened was God sent Elijah to tell Ahab he's had enough of those two. Because here's what happened. Jezebel sends two men. I want you to lie about Naboth. I want you to tell everyone you heard him blaspheme against God. Then they take him out and they have this honorable man stoned to death. She comes back. She says, Naboth's dead. Go possess his vineyard. So now, it's been four to six years since anyone's heard from Elijah. God must have forgotten all about him. Everything's clear sailing, right? I can do what I want to. I've got the vineyard. I can plant my garden. I can do what I want, or I can continue to do what I want to. God's not even paying attention to me anymore. Wrong. Now we've got the sentence. God has had enough. Elijah shows up again. In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Ahab had been given every single opportunity his whole life to repent, to turn to God, and to do what God had asked, just like every other king who had ever been king over Israel going back to the United Kingdom, going all the way back to Saul. Saul had every opportunity to do that which was right, but he refused. Ahab had earned his sentence. He had done everything in his power to get what God was giving him. In fact, he had worked exceedingly hard for it. It was Paul who said, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ahab knew the warnings. He had heard them all. Let's notice Numbers 32, verse 23. Now remember, Numbers 32, verse 23 is right before the children of Israel were to go over into the promised land. They were going to go over. They were going to take it. Gad and Reuben 
had spied out, they had seen all this good pasture land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, right? They go to Moses and they say, look, we like this property. Can we have this property? He says, are you not going to go fight with your brethren? They said, we'll do it. We'll go fight. When it comes time to go and fight, we'll go. He says, listen, but if you will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord and be sure... Your sin will find you out. There's an application to that. You think Ahab had never heard those words? Ahab was a Jew. He knew full well what that meant. There's an application to that, even yet today, right? Ahab's sin had finally found him out. His cause led to his condemnation. Notice the challenge. When, when Elijah and Ahab met, now remember, it had been four to six years wasn't just yesterday. The first to speak was Ahab. What did he call him? His enemy. He looked on him as his enemy. But guess in reality what Elijah was. Elijah was his best friend. And why was that? Elijah had done his best to try to teach Ahab exactly what he needed to know. He tried to teach him how to live right in the sight of God. He tried to teach him how to live righteously, how to obey God, how to do the things that God expected. And Ahab absolutely ignored everything he told him to do. He repeatedly tried to point him in the right direction. He did nothing but ignore him. He looked at him as if he was his enemy. Now, if he wanted to find his true enemy, he had to look no further than his own wife. She was the source of Ahab's trouble. Now, we can't blame her for everything Ahab did. Ahab was rotten to the core on his own. But we read continually about these two, that she was always stirring him to do evil in the sight of God because she was a wicked and a godless woman. And you stick that with a wicked and a godless man, and nothing good is going to happen. It is so often the case, when one tells another the truth, they become angry. That was Paul who asked the Galatians, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4 verse 6. You see, the one who tells you the truth is your friend, right? Not your enemy. And Elijah had told Ahab the truth over and over again. Ahab was, a, was rotten. He was a rascal. But Elijah had tried his best to save Ahab's soul. And he just wasn't having it. The challenge between Ahab and Elijah led to the confrontation of the sin that finally took God's patience to its end. Elijah's response was to confront Ahab's sin head on. He let the king know. His sin had been exposed. Now that kind of reminds us of when Nathan approached King David. He went to David and he said, Thou art the man, 2 Samuel 12, verse 7. Now knowing Ahab, don't you know that he had rationalized all of those events that had anything to do with Naboth. I'm sure that he had been sitting around and he thought, Well, you know, I didn't really have anything to do with that. I was at home in my palace. I wasn't having 
anything to do with what Naboth was doing. Now, if Jezebel had a hand in that, that's terrible. But that wasn't me. That was Jezebel. You know Jezebel and Ahab didn't care anything about one another. That was all political. That was all expedient. It got each one to where they wanted to be. And you know that given the opportunity, Ahab would lay all the blame on her. But Elijah didn't even give him a chance to blame Jezebel for anything. He let him know immediately, Ahab, you're to blame for all of it. Your fault. Ahab, you're covetous. You want what's not yours. You're never happy about anything. Period. You sold yourself to do evil in the sight of God. Naboth is dead because you turned a blind eye to that which is not right. Naboth is dead because Ahab has no regard for that which is right. Naboth is dead because Ahab sold himself to do sin. Now this idea of sold indicates a habitual habit. That's what Elijah was talking about. An everyday action. And that's what Ahab did. It also can carry with it the idea of to marry. Now that's quite ironic, isn't it? Now not only had Ahab manifested wickedness in his daily life, but he had married wickedness when he brought Jezebel in to be his wife. Nothing can be hidden from God and He will always see what is going on. Again, it had been four to six years since God had took Elijah from Mount Carmel into the wilderness up onto Mount Horeb to present Himself to Elijah the prophet. Ahab thought everything was good. I don't have to worry about God anymore. The prophet's gone. The man who troubleth Israel is is not here anymore. His spokesman must have died somewhere along the way. It doesn't matter. God is always here. Nothing can be hidden from God. The cause and condemnation led to Ahab's contrition. I want us to look at his repentance. When Ahab heard his sentence, he had true repentance. Finally, he did what he should have done so many years before. Now, there isn't anything in the text that indicates to us that he was not sincere about this repentance. He was truly sorry for what he heard. The problem is, he did last. I think in the moment, he really regretted what had happened. God requires repentance. Acts 17, verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at or overlooked to the cross, but requires all men to repent. But He requires a permanent change. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is a change. It's a change of mind that results in a change of action. And that action has to be permanent. God requires it. He expects it. When we look at the plan of salvation, it is repentance that is the one that is difficult, isn't it? 
Faith isn't difficult. We read the Bible. So then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It is impossible to please Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. We understand that. That's not the hard part. Unless you all likewise repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's that repentance, that permanent change of life, right? That's what is required. That's what slipped up Ahab. Repentance. It's not difficult to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He lived, that He died, that He arose on the third day, that He ascended back to heaven, that He rules over His kingdom at the very present. It's not difficult to understand that immersion in water is necessary for the forgiveness of sin, Acts 22.16, that it adds one to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47, that it places us in the body of Christ, Galatians 2, 26 and 27. That's not a difficult thing. We understand that. That's, that's not hard to go into the water and to come up. But repentance, when we understand that's a permanent change, that's where it becomes a little difficult. And, and sometimes we mess up with that. Even Christians. And we have to, we have to adjust that, right? But God's patience will eventually run out. The world better be ready. And that includes those who have obeyed the gospel. Christians who lapse better be thinking about their position in Christ, right? But Ahab's repentance did lead to his respite. God had grace and mercy upon him. See, that's the wonderful thing about God. He is full of grace and mercy. And he told Elijah... Judgment is still coming to Ahab's house, but it won't come until after he dies. But he's going to be wiped out. No one is from his house will ever sit upon the throne of Israel again. He's going to be gone. And the very thing that God said did happen. He was killed in battle in the very place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, they licked the blood of Ahab. But Ahab had a golden opportunity to die in a proper relationship with God. He had repented. He could have died that way. But he had lapsed back into sin because his change did not last. His repentance did not remain. Later in life, he fell back into sin. But it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Anyone, anyone, can leave this life in a right relationship with God. It is also possible to push God to the point where He says, I have had enough. God will only take so much. Now, He is so patient, but it is time for the world to be different. Listen, we see it all the time, don't we? And it is sickening. You see people that they just, you know, this idea of let's be different. Sin is not different. It is rampant. Faithfulness to God is what is different. Being different from the world. The sickness of sin is everywhere. Each person must examine himself and herself and determine where do we stand in our relationship to God, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. 
If I obeyed the gospel, we talked about how to do that. If I've lapsed back into sin like Ahab did, at some point God is going to say, I have had enough. He's coming back. He's already, he already knows when that time is. He's going to return, and I have to be ready for that. And, and the thing is, that could be any time. He could come back any time, but here is the other thing to that. My time might end at any moment. I could go any time. We don't know when that will be. We've all lost loved ones unexpectedly through accident or whatever the case may be. So I have to be ready. I have to always be ready. And I have to always be examining myself. If you stand in need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.